This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad? Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom, and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and scorenorth.com. Oh, Mackie is Mr. Mankato. There he is, your training camp hero. The dreams of a dozen men who were late round draft picks, plaguing well in full team practice. Oh, he may turn out to be cut before the 53 hole. There he is. And now that your ears are all bleeding and your eyes are bleeding and your face is melting like that guy at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. You own it, dude. Own it. Welcome. Welcome to the special annual edition of the Mackie and Judd Show where we unveil Mr. Mankato Odds. The 2020 Mr. Mankato competition at Vikings training camp is set to commence in a very weird way this year. So on this episode, and by the way, we're going to get to Action Movie Rewind later in this podcast uh, but we've got Chris Long from Five Eyewitness News Sports Department. We've got ESPN Vikings beat reporter Courtney Cronin. And before we get into, and by the way, we have like twenty or thirty minutes here, and so we're gonna, we're, I'm gonna set a ground rule right off the bat because there's like twenty five, there's fifteen <laughs> draft picks, there's twenty five players on this list. We're not gonna go through every single name. Chris did that in five thousand words on ScoreNorth.com, and so this will be sort of a, a featured highlight speedy run through the list when we get there. Chris was up till four in the morning doing this for scorenorth.com too, by the way. So a tradition like no other. I can't do it at noon. Like that's no fun. It's gotta feel like I'm cramming for a college final. It's impressive. I'll say that for you. So uh just to knock out a quick little piece of history and to and to answer a question. Question number one is why do you guys still call it Mr. Mankato? Well for starters uh, for budget reasons, the branding, the change to like the Egan Everyman and getting all the logos changed and the apparel and the and the rights partnerships, it's just it's too much of a hassle. And we like mm-hmm. we like the alliteration of Mr. Mankato in the history. So it remains Mr. Mankato for another year. We originally started this on Mackie and Judd back in 2014 as a way to highlight under the radar Vikings players at training camp. And Adam Thielen was our first ever winner of the competition. Uh, we awarded him, Judd, if you remember, with a styrofoam cooler from the gas station down the street. Yeah, he was thrilled. A bag of Funyuns and <laughs> some off-brand threw Dr. It, Pepper. Threw it to the corner of the practice field, walked away, and we kept the Funyuns. I think he took the hey, comb. Who, he took the comb. 
Who knew, by the way, at the moment that he was accepting that, who knew where that and this were both going to go, where he, that, and this were all going to go? What do you think has reached loftier heights, Adam Thielen or the Mr. Mankato competition? Oh, I think Thielen's done a little bit better (laughs) on a national profile, right? I know what you're talking about. It's probably true. It's probably true. So, uh, so here's here's how this works in terms of the official rules. And if you again, if you want to go through this whole thing on on scorenorth.com, you can uh, you can settle in, pour yourself a couple cocktails this weekend, and read through Chris's manifesto. But there are four relatively simple rules to the Mister Mankato competition. Number one, the player must be a third round pick or later. Undrafted players count as well. Rule number two, players must not be established NFL players. There is a little leeway here, and the committee gets to decide, like Chris brings up Drew Samia as an example. He was mm-hmm. an active player in Week 17 last year, but he didn't really do anything, and so he is still eligible for 2020. Rule number three, if a player does not fall into either of the first two categories, a committee member may put that player up for review. I tried to get Christian Ponder back on this after he had fallen completely off the radar. Yeah, that was a bunch you of guys wouldn't let me, no. and that's fine. Um, and rule number four, the competition runs through the entire preseason, not just the Mankato or, in this case, Egan portion. It is a marathon, not a sprint. But unlike previous years where we would get four preseason games to watch guys like Audi Cole score two defensive touchdowns to, to solidify themselves, we really get like two weeks of practice, no fans, and just media. So, And we might, I'm just going to throw this to the committee, we may have to wait until after week one plays to really award this because where's the finish line? There's not preseason games. There's not, we don't know. Is there going to be the big inter-squad scrimmage? We might need week one to be able to to figure out who wins this thing. I would also add too, uh, we do have mail-in balloting for Mr. Mankato, but it has to be, it has to be postmarked. It has to be I don't agree with that. No, no, no. We're going to have Mr. Mankato voting fraud. That's not going to happen. I'm removing all the mailboxes from the city. Immediately. I'm going to go through with my car, pick them up, throw them in my trunk, and get rid of yeah, them. Okay? The Mr. Mankato Postal Service has been defunded over the past exactly few months. Right. It's a problem exactly right now. Right. These are tough times. It's not going to happen. Oh, so, my goodness. So, Chris, why don't, you, why don't you give us, just speed through real quick, the odds. Uh, just go, go all the way through everyone you have ranked and the field. And then we're going to kind of throw it to you and Courtney to break down some of the interesting and top candidates before we eventually pick who we think will win toward the end of this episode. There's kind of six tiers this year, and I really I am going to scroll through these really quick because every year I kind of go, oh, man, I got to write this thing, and it's fun, and I enjoy it once I'm in it, but it seems a little daunting. And then I started compiling the list of guys that probably need to be on the list this year, and it was, yeah, thanks, Rick Spielman, for your 15 draft players and, and 10 more UDFAs and a couple holdovers from last year. So we're going to have to sort of – every year – it's nebulous. We all get to decide what Mr. Mankato is to us when we pick our winner, whether that's us on the committee or people that vote or whatever. It's like an MVP award. What, what exactly does that mean? This year, more than ever, there's a different bar for different players. Um, some guys could be Mr. Mankato if they simply maybe make the practice squad, whereas other guys need to be a week one starter if they're going to be a realistic shot at, at, at being Mr. Mankato. So you'll look at the odds and say, well, this guy's an undrafted free agent. Why is he here? Or this guy was the third round draft pick. Why is he here? 
there's going to be different ways for guys to, to, to figure out how to rise to the top of the cl- this class for Mr. Mankato. So the favorite I think is Cam Dantzler. He's got a pretty clear shot to, to get some potential playing time. If not, maybe contend for a starting role. He's our favorite at three to one cornerback um, high draft pick at a position that there is a lot of room to move on the depth chart. It seems to be an easy way in. Navelle Clark is an undrafted guy who is also a cornerback. Same kind of thing. I think he could, get a lot of reps, get a lot of vision, um, or get a lot of looks. And, and even though he's you know not coming in nearly as highly touted as Cam Dantzler, uh, he's going to have a chance to get some playing time, which for an undrafted guy is pretty big. Alexander Hollins, he's one of the guys like Drew Samia that played a little bit last year. He's 5-1, to one, as is Navelle Clark. Uh, Alexander Hollins played a little bit toward the end of last year, made some catches in that Week 17 game. Um, receiver, same kind of thing. There is definitely <laughs> – going to be room at the back of the depth chart for somebody to pop in there and grab maybe the wide receiver three, definitely wide receiver four. And then the last guy really on the top four uh, tier of, of favorites is, is Kenny Willickis. And he's a great story. I got to go to my notes here. Cause remember I did all this at three o'clock in the morning, <laughs> uh, seventh round draft pick out of Michigan state. Here are some of his bullet points drafted in the last round. He went from a college walk on to the big 10 defensive lineman of the year he majored in chemistry, didn't have a single Division One offer out of high school. He has this goofy plyometric workout that got posted online, and here's the kicker. As a kid, he attended the Kirk Cousins passing camp. Wow. 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 And, said, and they and signed him? And, yep. <laughs> wow, that's right. unnecessary. Well, he's, a, he's a defensive end, so maybe he was using that to craft his future chasing quarterbacks. But do we have, um, is, is there like a Kirk Cousins passing camp tree of prominent guys who've come out of there? Do we know who else has been? Part I, of the- I, I couldn't tell you anybody else who's come out of there, but it's like, they, so his, was- his passing uh, camp tree is like the Belichick coaching tree. Knobloch, Steve Sachs, Steve Blast. <laughs> come on. <laughs> Matthew Sasser. So, so Willikus is the last kind of favorite at six to one. And then we'll go through a couple other guys here. Brandon Dillon. Uh, I don't believe, and check me if I'm wrong, have we ever had a a, uh, a reigning Mr. Mankato uh, come back for more? Year? Up for the next year? Oh boy, well, here's the, let me go, up, I'll scroll up here for people watching on the YouTube channel. Uh, the list of previous Mr. Mankato winners. No. Brandon Dillon, Kyle Sloter was 2018. By the way, yeah, Chad for Chad Beebe to not at any point get the Mr. Mankato award is a massive failure. Yeah. Is, is is Chad Beebe the Lee Westwood of Mr. Mankato, the greatest Mr. Mankato candidate to never have won the Mr. Mankato Award? Courtney, I'll remember, he got hurt in training mm-hmm. camp. Mm. It's a shame. No, that's what got him. Bauer, so, yeah. Curse, Diggs. How about the back-to-back Thielen and Diggs in 2014-15? And and by the way, it doesn't like whatever they do after they win Mr. Mankato, if they become established or not, has no bearing on now it has bearing on if you come back into the competition. Like like Brandon Dillon, for instance, if you did nothing, you're still eligible for back to backs. We've never had a back to back winner though. And he, I actually listened to the uh, awards ceremony show from last year while I was preparing this last night, and it was, <laughs> I kind of forgot. Brandon Dillon was a runaway winner. We all oh, thought, yeah. yeah, we all <laughs> thought Alexander Madison. There was no way he wasn't going to get it. And uh, Courtney, yeah, you can talk about that. Brandon Dillon, we all th- there was no discussion. It was a slam dunk. He made this unbelievably athletic one-handed catch. Um, I remember we were on the practice field, like closest to the building. Um, it was like on like a Wednesday. And I remember Kirk turned to like me and a few other beat writers who were standing there. He's like, 
you know, we call him the Marion Flash. And I was like, what? Like, and obviously he's an NAIA guy. He went to Marion University, which is in Indianapolis. Um, and I was like, okay. So that name kind of stuck. And watching him during the preseason games, like, okay, wow. Like, you know, this is an offense. I mean, Gary Kubiak loves his tight ends. They like to use him a lot in the passing game, like potentially. And heck, he made the, he made the opening day roster. Um, he wasn't on it for very long. But, um, you know, I think that that was – definitely what solidified it too just i mean he had an awesome camp just an awesome camp the point i made was my family lives in indianapolis and i had never even heard of marion university it's mm-hmm. six miles from my parents house and i had no idea where it was. now you know uh so he's comes back he has a chance to be be crazy uh but what i think we still only have do we have we still only have one two-time heisman winner correct archie griffin i believe that's true mm-hmm. the team no tim tebow did Tebow win it twice? I don't think so. He just won it once. I think Griffin I think he only at Ohio State won it twice, and that's it, I think. All right. So Brandon Dillon, there's this there's always the pass catchers because they're, you know, as Courtney said, there's you make that one unbelievable one-handed catch that causes the quarterback to give you a nickname. You're in the mix. Uh Courtney Davis is in there with him, so is KJ Osborne. Those two are kind of cut and paste Mr. Mankato candidates. Courtney Davis is the uh, typical best undrafted free agent on the planet coming out of the draft. Everybody thought he was going to go to Dallas Cowboys. The Vikings swooped in, threw a bunch of money at him and got him. And then KJ Osborne is the, you know, fastest guy on the board who's going to have a shot if he could just get open two or three times to make some plays. So all three of those guys, Dylan Davis and Osborne are eight to one. Um, I don't want to go too much through everybody else, but there's, then you get into your sort of middle shots. I'll just give you the names. Dylan Mitchell, Drew Samia, DJ Wanham, Oli Udo, Josh Metellus and Brian Cole, uh, a lot of different guys. Some are just maybe a little blocked on the depth chart. Uh, some are guys like Drew Samia, who for him to win Mr. Mankato, uh, he was sort of regarded maybe as the steal of the draft last year and just kind of sat back. And the, the phrase that I kept seeing in all the articles I was reading that <laughs> prepped all this was he had a red shirt year last year. He was stuck behind Josh Klein and didn't get to play that much, but came from an amazing unit at Oklahoma blocked for two Heisman trophy winners. Um, I want to make sure I'm not confusing my guys here. I believe the crazy stat on him was, yeah, in 2018 as a senior, he was a big 12 defensive lineman of the year. He took 400 pass blocking snaps and didn't allow a single sack. Wow. Um, but with all that, for him to be Mr. Mankato, he's got to be the week one starter. He can't have a good camp. He can't – he's got to make it that far. So the bar for him is a lot higher than, you know, maybe a guy I mentioned earlier, um, you know, Kenny Willickis, the seventh rounder who won the uh, 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 national award. It's called the Burlesworth Trophy. I'd never even heard of it. It's given to the top former walk-on in college football. So if he's even in the rotation – on the depth chart and sees any playing time in week one, Kenny Willickis has a shot at winning, but a Drew Samia, he would have to start, uh, be entrenched as the starter to win. And, and then we can go down further. There's a bunch of guys we can kick in. There's, there's a couple of guys with some pretty good stories later on, but I don't want to, I don't want to filibuster too much here. The absolute key, the absolute key to, to this entire thing is on the show. It's Courtney. Courtney, we are going to have to rely on you heavily and exclusively because it's not not like we can uh, come and go from practices, right? And and we're not going to have games. So you are going to be the linchpin, the most important person in actually helping people like me, Mackie, Declan, 
decide who is going to win Mr. Mankato 2020. In fact, if it rains at every practice and Courtney is the the designated pool reporter, it is state-run Mr. Mankato media. She is the only person that reports on what's happening. And that could happen today if we're looking at the weather forecast. That's what she said. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I've got my notebook ready to go. Like, this is only going to be used for keeping notes on Mr. Mankato all (laughs) 50 prospects, uh, according to Chris's list. But, no, I mean, it's, you know – I, I can be the eyes and ears if you want me to. It's just a lot of responsibility. You've got to be. Like, I'm really We've got no choice. It's in your hands. <laughs> I'll help when I can. I'll be down there occasionally. Thank We're you. expecting to come down today. But, yeah, if it rains or thunders. <laughs> we're gonna wow. be outside pressing against yeah. the window yeah. <laughs> so Courtney who oh, I, I will say one thing about linemen like Drew Samia it's really hard even when you get full preseason games to watch some of these players linemen have a tough one because the guys who stand out are wide receivers cornerbacks quarterbacks you know players who either touch the ball or can alter a play on the edge of some kind or pass rushers so it is it is pretty tough for you're you're rarely going to see alignment as the odds on favorite on Chris Long's odds report for for good reason but Courtney as you sort of digest uh, Cam Dantzler as the favorite and and everybody else here on this list who are some names that stand out to you and who are who are a couple long shots when you look even further like I'm kind of surprised Nate Stanley and Jake Browning both at 20 to 1 as quarterbacks those guys would have better odds if you could watch them play in preseason games but we don't get that luxury this year yeah, I think as I like look down Chris's list, because I know who I'm voting for, uh, I'm very excited to get that one out there. But, you know, the two offensive linemen from Oregon and Oregon State, Blake Brandle and Brady Ayallo, like depending upon what how the numbers game works out with the offensive line and what they do, I mean, um, those to me are kind of like the long shot ones that I wouldn't completely rule out of the mix. I mean, it is going to be kind of hard to tell like a second team left tackle, like a right tackle, I think is what uh, Blake Brandle is. Like, you know, can he do enough to really impress you? But I think it's just, if you start seeing, you know, if you start seeing guys interchange on the offensive line and one of these second team, second team guys getting some first team reps, however it would work out. I don't obviously think of the tackle spots, but hell if Brady Aiello somehow like snuck into the right guard competition, that to me is an easy one. Um, you know, the safe, the safeties will be interesting too. Like Miles Dorn, Josh Metellus. Um, there's not a lot of depth at safety. Like, I mean, there, there, it's not a lot of proven depth. It's all very young. So who's getting those reps behind Harrison Smith and uh, Anthony Harris. Same thing with cornerback. There's so many corners on the roster right now outside of like the top five guys, which, you know, you don't really anticipate. I mean, Cam Dantzler is the lowest of the, I guess the lowest of the five that you would anticipate being part of the mix. Um, I have a question about that though. Can, um, can Chris Boyd be in this? Because he's technically, he's a second year player, he's a six round pick. Um, would he technically be eligible? Because I mean, he's somebody that I anticipate, you know, having, you know, if he has a really good camp, he might be in, in line for stuck serious on, playing time. He's stuck on the, uh, 53 all last year, right? Or yes. basically all last year for Chris yes. Boyd? So does that, does that not count? See, this is where we get into if you want to put him up for vote and, okay. and the five of us on this committee uh, want to have a 50% or more uh, vote rate for you, right. we, I think we could then put him on the list, Chris. Is that yeah. how, not how it works? He was, yeah. He was, a seventh round pick. he was a seventh-round pick, not a sixth-round pick. So, I mean, that's what – as far as I know, I'm looking at the thing right now. Um, not on there. I, I had him falling just on the. Yeah. He was on the team all of last year, but it's it's that that line can move. Okay, 
Yeah, I mean, like, but, um, you know, as I speak about cornerbacks, when I, you know, talking about Harrison Hand potentially getting into the mix there, I mean, the guy has position flexibility. He can play all over the place. You can play him up near the box if you want to. So it's like the more you can do, especially as a cornerback or, you know, any sort of defensive back, I think make splash plays, do stuff like that, because that's going to, you know, rise you from, like, low odds to probably improving your chances. But I don't know. The favorites this year – seem too you know too obvious to me like too like I just don't see anybody winning outside of the top four I agree um, with that. I, I think that's I mean and I actually have the top four probably a top five or six because I'll throw Courtney Davis into that too like I think Brandon Dillon the Courtney Davis that's kind of where I cap it below there but there's so many guys this year there's 15 draft picks so that's really hard to you know discern you know outside of that group this is Brandon not Dillon. this is not Sorry, the Jack. year this is not the year to get cute folks this is not the year to come <laughs> up with some curveball of i we're just not gonna see enough and without games courtney i think you're exactly right i think we've got this list in reality is probably about five guys brandon Dillon was not even named on the list last year right but we got a chance to see him play in uh, games that's the problem strange things can happen but i i agree it's just the nature of this year is going to be really strange and um the pandemic is costing people a couple other guys i want to actually mention just for storyline standpoint that wouldn't have to do much in terms of you know if they make the team and we see them at all um jake lacina is a fun story yep corbin lacina's kid and i read it somewhere it was hard to believe and i i, I think it's accurate there's never been a, a father-son viking combo you've been around longer than i have i i, I read that somewhere and I racked my brain, and I know there's been some brothers. Um, Loudermilk's kid was on the practice squad, but I don't know. But I don't know that there has been a father-son active roster at different times combo. So I think that's right. You got the local kid who was trying to be the first ever legacy. He was a Division II All American, and then the guy at the bottom of the list. Read the story. I'm not going to go through the whole story because his alone could have been its own article. Dan Chisnan, I think I'm saying his name right. Yeah, the wide receiver. He is the longest of long shots in this year's Mr. Mankato, and he is absolutely, if he makes any progress toward getting on the depth chart, is going to be a story. I, I, I should probably just say this and tease the article. His entire five-year college run, he caught three balls for 66 yards, and yet he signed as an undrafted free agent. Wow. And he had... <laughs> an interesting path through college at Penn state. He was a national level uh, track runner. He's, he's faster than all heck. He's six foot three. Uh, so a guy and one of his catches, by the way, one of those three was in the go for Penn state game at TCF bank stadium, but the guy didn't play football for three years in college. He just went to track, came back to football, was super guy, special teamer, came back his fifth year. And at the spring game makes this amazing touchdown where he turns on the jets and James Franklin picks up the megaphone and announces that he's going to be on scholarship for football That's his cool. fifth year after having been on a track scholarship for three years. Um, guy caught three balls in college, five years in college, three of two and a half of them on the football team caught three balls and the Vikings signed him. If this guy makes a splash at all, it will make the Mr. Mankato voting very simple. Yeah. That's uh that's an awesome story and another quick plug to to the scorenorth.com official Mr. Mankato uh, Mr. Mankato odds manifesto that is 5000 words long and so you can go check that out. I think we should start off with let's let's we'll start with Declan and go around the room here. All right. Let's make our picks. Let's go on the record here. 
Who do you got taking down the Mr. Mankato 2020 crown we, or we, styrofoam cooler? We talked about it at the beginning, and I really still like his odds. I'm taking Drew Samia. I think Drew Samia is gonna gonna wow some people in training camp. I I believe the another phrase they used in his scouting report, Chris and Courtney, was he was nasty at Oklahoma, oh, yeah. nasty. And I want to see if with him having this red shirt year, if he's gonna be able to step in and find a guard spot. He, he's on the outside looking in. I get that, but if he's the week one starter, like Chris said. He definitely gets it, and I, I want to see what he's able to do. He had a great college career, and I think he's going to turn some heads in training camp, and my, my pick is uh, is Drew Samia. I would think for Drew Samia to win this, um, he probably – does he is it fair to say he probably has to start? Yes, he's going he to have to win. He's going to have to win this job. He has to win the right guard job. Yes. Yes. That's okay. mandatory. Yeah, it could happen. Courtney's it could happen. Right. All right, Courtney. All right, um, this one's easy for me. I'm going with Kenny Willekes, number one. The guy sounds like a football guy. He opens his mouth and it's, you know, I, I mean this with like the, in the most endearing and like, yes, that type of thing. I hear it in my ear. Um, I mean this in the most endearing way. He's like the guy who wants to take a beer can and crush it on his head after he drinks it. Animal yeah. House. Football. 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 Yeah. <laughs> love it. Um, here's something that I just love about his story. So he comes to Michigan State, as we know, as 220-pound walk-on linebacker. And he leaves the school. He leaves school as the career leader in tackles for loss. Uh, he had 51, and so he had a broken leg that he got in the 2018 bowl game. I don't know who Football. <laughs> so after he came back from that broken leg, he leads the team um, in ranked. He leads the team in tackles, ranked fifth in the Big Ten, and had a career high ten and a half sacks as a senior. And then became the first defensive player in program history to win MVP twice. Sold. I mean, like, the guy is football. The guy, like, he, first off, he's a steal. People thought he could have been, like, a late third-round, fourth-round pick, and he fell to the Vikings all the way in the seventh round. I remember, like, on draft day in April, you know, draft Twitter freaked out, like, oh, man, love this pick, steal of the draft for the Minnesota Vikings. So that intrigued me. So I kind of did some research, and, I mean, Chris put the whole, you know, um, the litany of everything that, like, you know, defines his career out. Um you just can't love a story like that more. It literally is a rags to riches football type story of the undersized guy who, you know, I'll play anywhere they put me, you know, they put me a defensive end, put me a linebacker, put me at safety, put me at, you know, God knows where he'll do anything. He'll play up in the box. He'll go back. I mean, it doesn't matter. Like he, this guy will literally do anything. And I, and I like that about him. And I honestly think just given kind of what the situation is with like the rotational edge rushing um, those prospects right now, with like him, DJ Wanham. Uh, there's just not a lot of depth there. Stacey Keeley, I think, is in that mix, too. But I like this guy just because of his background, his story, and I think it's going to be really fun to see like how they use him. He just seems like a true football guy who's going like, to run through a wall. Um, I mean, li- literally, listen to him talk. He sounds like a football man. So We cannot play that drop it- enough, so he's my choice. And he went to Kirk Cousins' passing camp. And he went to Kirk Cousins' passing <laughs> camp. And you know that Kirk is going to end up getting that story um, or getting that question at some point. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Love it. Love it. All right. Uh, J- no, Chris Long. Let's go to Chris Long here. The odds tell me Cam Dantzler. I'll stick with that. I think he's got the easiest path and, you know, he's going to get most benefit of the doubt being the highest drafted player, earliest drafted player on the list. But if you're looking for value, Willick's story is terrific. I I think Courtney Davis has a shot. Um, I'm I'm wavering because I'm not sure I'm going between two guys. Alexander Holland's got playing time at the end of last year. I'm going to take Courtney Davis, Um, undrafted free agent. He's the guy that you know, best undrafted free agent out there. And the Vikings had to outbid somebody to get him. He got a six figure deal. Um, 
that's not huge in the terms of NFL contracts, but it is when you start talking undrafted guys Mm -hmm. and he's got some physical skills that uh, what we are able to see, it's going to be really easy to see him if he does something special. So I'll take Courtney Davis. In times of pandemic, keep it simple as possible. Cam Dantzler. He plays Zim's position. He plays the hits. He's got a chance, right? I mean, we don't know who's going to succeed. We we don't, don't know if Holton Hill's going to do two stupid things in practice that we don't see, but they decide to bench him or cut him or something. They drafted Dantzler. He is on the... He's on the precipice of of not being eligible for this award, which actually makes him a decent pick. If this was not a pandemic, I would come up with a gutsier pick. Um, but it's going to be so tough, and it's going it's going to be difficult for guys uh, for us to see them, for guys to succeed and flash, as they like to say in football. So I'll keep it simple as possible and go with Cam Dantzler, Philip. I'm shocked, Judd. I, I offered you a bait pick again. You didn't take it. I gave you a pair option. The two Baylor guys named Lynch. I put James Lynch and Blake since Lynch that, together. Since that moron put his foot through a plate glass window, I'm out. I'm, I got screwed by a punk quarterback who decided to try and kick in a window. Idiot. Who what was that? Was that Sloter? Tyler Henneke. Oh, no, Tyler Henneke. Okay, Henneke. that's right. Oh, Completely, it, it was him and Stave, and so I thought it was he, the greatest pick. And I ended up with Joel Bleep and Stave as my lone pick. Then what was the story there? That Heineke probably got drunk and was coming yes. back with yeah. some fast food or something. Yeah, he was trying to get. Back back from, his, I think he was trying to get back into his dorm room. It, no, he he was with his buddy. And, and coming back from a movie. Yes, and they mm. didn't have the key. And supposedly he said, "I'll kick it in." Thanks a lot. Amazing, amazing. Anyway, that's my pick. You know, I so I I I wish I could pivot off of picking the same guy as Judd, but I had I had Cam Dantzler going into this, regardless of whatever the odds were going to say. Chris had him as the odds-on favorite, and I'm with Judd. In the absence of being able to watch preseason games, I'm picking the chalk here. I'm picking I'm picking the number one seed to win here, and I will and I will leave you with this nugget about Cam Dantzler. So he played 31 games in college. And obviously in the SEC conference, he did play in two bowl games so outside of SEC competition. So tw- 29 of his games uh, in the SEC in the regular season, one-third of those games against Auburn, Alabama, LSU, and Georgia. And so he has seen NFL talent up and down throughout three years in college, and uh, and he's going to be my guy. I don't, know what it, I don't know if it means he has to play significant snaps in week one, to, to win this or some other measurement, but that's the beauty of Mr. Mankato. Courtney Crowley. very nebulous. She's our no, person uh, here. She's the key. No, no, college receiver, no college receiver on all those teams that you mentioned ever gained more than 60 yards in a game against Cam Dantzler, and the passer rating against him, 43.6. That's pretty badass. You spike, you spike the ball, it's like six points lower. That's Mel Kuyper Jr. right there, folks. <laughs> our own Mel Kuyper Jr. Football. He is the Mel Kuyper of Mr. Mankato, and you can read the full odds report at scorenorth.com. So any other final thoughts from anybody going into this year's very bizarre Mr. Mankato competition? I need a nap. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think you've earned that. Um, <laughs> you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up becoming, just given the numbers game here with the amount of corners that they have, like it could be a cornerback, cornerback, like neck and neck finish here. Um, because we haven't even mentioned Neville Clark, really. Um, you know, obviously Chris went, you know, ran it down and all that. But there's him. There's Harrison Hand. I know I'm forgetting somebody else. I mean, outside of Dantzler. But, um, you know, it's a really good pool of cornerbacks and, and really defensive backs, too. Because, you know, there's Metellus. There's Cole, the two safeties. Um, 
they're rebuilding that secondary in a lot of ways. So like, look for the, look for the depth pieces and who shines out shines for that because that could very easily um, be the, I think the first Mr. Mankato uh, defensive back, Mr. Mankato since J Ron curse in 2016. Right. Mm-hmm. Not bad. J Ron curse. Yep. J Ron curse, man. 2006. It didn't work out for him as well as it did for Diggs and Thielen. Oh, the favorite in 2016. The favorite was Moritz Boehringer. The yeah. German Mobo. wide receiver. Bobo. Mobo. Guy. <laughs> he, I just saw his name. He's in camp somewhere. So did I. I. It's unbelievable. Yeah, good, like good he just won't go away. Amazing. Well, <laughs> a huge thank you to Courtney and Chris, and uh, you can follow along. We, uh, we we have a Mr. Mankato. It's at Mr. Mankato Vikes Twitter handle, but we haven't tweeted from it in two years. We might have to fire that thing back up at some point, too. Gotta find the password for that. Yeah, that's yeah. actually step one. Find the password this weekend. <laughs> For Mr. Mankato. So, uh, so Courtney, Chris, thanks for hanging out, and see you guys at private training camp. Nice work. See you. Aurelio speaking. I heard you struck my son. Yes, sir, I did. And may I ask why? Yeah, well, because he stole John Wick's car, sir, and uh, killed his dog. Oh. And you don't want to do that to John Wick, of all people. He wasn't just a dog. No, he was not. It was Daisy. We're going to dive into... One of the great modern action movies, John Wick, for part of Action Movie Rewind. After we thank Federated Insurance here, thank them for helping business owners all throughout the state of Minnesota during this pandemic period. And thank thank them for sticking with us here at Score North during a tough period, too, for uh, a sports platform that had no sports for several months. So Federated has been around in Owatonna, Minnesota since the early 1900s and never, well, I, I should, shouldn't say never. I'm sure they were pretty helpful during Spanish flu in the early 1900s for business owners. But uh, it's been a long time since business owners have needed this much support and frontline protection and resources. And you can find full information about all these things on their website, federatedinsurance.com. And remember, at Federated Mutual Insurance Company, it's our business to protect yours. He once was an associate of ours. We called him Baba Yaga. The boogeyman? Well, John wasn't exactly the boogeyman. He was the one you sent to kill the f- boogeyman. Oh. John is a man of folk. Commitment. Sheer will. Something you know very little about. I once saw him kill three men in a bar with a bouncer. With a bouncer. Welcome to the party, pal! Action Movie Reviews with Mackie, Judd, and Rami. Get to the chopper! Yippee-ki-yay, mother... It's not what you did, son, that angers me so. It's who you did it to. Who? The f- nobody? The Nobody is John Wick. And welcome in to Action Movie Rewind. Maggie and Judd, Declan, and we are excited to dive into the 2014 cinematic masterpiece classic, John Wick. The first part of uh, at least a four-part series at this point, right? I think they're, I, I think they're making yes, the fourth one. I believe the third has been released, and yep. I believe the fourth is on the way that is correct and uh, and this one this one lays the groundwork for uh for Keanu Reeves what third multi-movie series so well Bill and Ted is one of them oh yeah Speed is another one where where I'm talking like well no he wasn't but he, speed. Wasn't, yeah. he wasn't in the second speed no no he couldn't agree to a contract the Matrix for that one. is a multi it's a, it's yeah. a sequel series and then this one so gentlemen we'll start with setting the scene here 
With the untimely death of his beloved wife still bitter in his mouth, John Wick, the former assassin, receives one final gift from his wife, his deceased wife, a precious keepsake to help John find new meaning in life now that she is gone. (laughs) But when the arrogant Russian mob prince, Yosef Tarasov, and his men pay Wick a rather unwelcome visit to rob him of his prized 1969 Mustang and his wife's present, Daisy the dog, Mm. the legendary hitman will be forced to unearth his meticulously concealed identity. Blind with revenge, John Wick will immediately unleash a carefully orchestrated maelstrom of destruction against the sophisticated kingpin, Vigo Tarasov, who's the head of the Russian mafia and crime syndicate in New York City, and his family, who are fully aware of his lethal capacity. Now only blood can quench the boogeyman's thirst for retribution. It's not what you did, son, that angers me so. It's who you did it to. Who? The f- nobody? That f- nobody is John Wick. 87% <laughs> on Rotten Tomatoes. Great. A $30 million budget that generated $86 million at the box office. And it starred Keanu Reeves, Willem Dafoe, mm-hmm. Ian McShane, otherwise known to me as Bizarro Al Pacino, Bridget Moynihan, who is Tom Brady's ex-wife, cool. Kevin Nash, former NWO star, was in this movie. He was? I can't, what do you mean? You didn't notice Kevin Nash in this I movie? Di- I didn't. Who was Where he? Where did you watch it? I did. I'll, I'll circle back to that. And even the guy who plays Mayhem in those car insurance commercials. Oh, he plays a big role in this movie. Was a big role in this movie. Yeah, he's the an important character. He, is, he, he gets more jobs than anybody. He's in everything. Really? Dean Winters is in everything. Is yes, he? he is. It's incredible. I feel like this if, is the only thing I've seen him besides you, Mayhem commercials. If, if, oh. if you shoot a big budget film or TV show on the East Coast, Dean is going to be in that. Okay. All right. He lives there, and I think he is constantly like, hey, I can work today. Schedule is <laughs> free. Available. I'm Mayhem. <laughs> Want to hire me? So, Dex, did you Google yes. Kevin Nash? And, and he I plays had, the bouncer slash uh, whatever. Like. had no idea that was him until right now. <laughs> yeah, and he gave a couple Kevin Nash lines. Yes, and, he did. And, and he got let off the hook. He wasn't killed. So we'll start with Judd Zolgad. Well, first of all, have anyone? I've seen John Wick one and two both on planes only once. This is the, only, this is the second mm-hmm. time I've seen this movie, and so I, I noticed more things. Have you guys seen a John Wick movie before this? I had seen this one uh, bits and pieces on on TV, flipping through. It got violent, so I stopped to watch it. But I've never seen the whole thing through. I've never seen it. I've always wanted to see it. Okay, but this is my first time, and I loved it. Well, Judd, what was your favorite part about John Wick? We'll start there. There's a lot to love here. <laughs> now, now there there are things to pick apart as well. Um, but first of all, strong disagreement on that. Yeah. The, there there are some holes here, but that's okay. That yeah, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. bullet holes in yeah. bodies. There are some holes. But um, first of all, congratulations to the people who who uh, conceived the concept of this character, of this film, and who hired Keanu to do it. <laughs> this is the perfect, and I, I don't mean sort of good, okay? So I, this is just out-and-out out praise, 100% praise. This is the perfect dialogue-to-Keanu ratio wow. to keep it real. It is. And, and I will go back dialogue to, to this, is, this, is very, <laughs> this, is very much, this is very much the same philosophy that Stallone, I think, gave himself more so in Rambo, which was, let's make a film 
Let's make it actually be yeah. blood and guts and, you know, enjoyable. Enjoyable. But but yeah. but what don't we want to do? We don't want to saddle Keanu with a ton of dialogue because it comes off as if he is uh, checking out cue cards, blah, blah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so my favorite part was, was this took Keanu Reeves and basically... It's like baseball now, right? Where where you get a smart manager management team. You bat him in the perfect place, right? Or a pitcher, a pitcher. Okay, Keanu was Tyler Duffy current day in this film. You don't ask him to do too much. You didn't start. You yep. didn't ask him to start. But you said, Keanu, if we work with you and we give you this to do, you can do it really well. Yeah. And that was my favorite part of this film. It's the first time that I've actually seen Keanu used in a way that didn't make me come away from said film saying, I enjoyed it, but to Phil's word, it was sort of campy. Yeah. This was the first time I've seen seen him in a film and said, you know what, across the board, it really worked. So, all right, I'm going to piggyback off what Judd's saying because his favorite part is sort of my favorite part, and it leads into my biggest take about this movie. Judd is a Steven Seagal, early 90s, late 80s connoisseur, okay? Love it. This John Wick is what would have happened if Steven Seagal was a little bit more willing to play ball and a little bit more willing to, like, some character development. (laughs) Because this movie, think about, like, the formula for Steven Seagal movies is he is some sort of a cop or some sort of uh, a lethal weapon figure who is on a revenge tour for two hours or an hour and a half. Like, Steven Seagal movies are just him running roughshod for an hour and a half. and it's, it's Hard him. to kill. His wife is dead. Yep. You're right. Super corny lines and very little offense for the bad guys on Steven Seagal. He's just walking into rooms and snapping everyone's neck, and it's like, all right, like, definitely worth watching. Definitely, we're going to keep doing Steven Seagal movies on Action Movie Rewind. Right. But if Steven Seagal was, was willing to be a little bit more vulnerable... And be a little bit more of an actual character. And share. Like share lines. Yep. Let other people star. Let, let the bad let, guy let, be good. Yep. Let the bad guy, the Russian guy, rise to your level. Yes. You'd go from having these kind of fun little corny action movies in the 80s, 90s to having an actual huge hit multi-sequel yep. uh, establishment like John Wick has become. John Wick is a is a more developed and more successful version of what Steven Seagal movies could have been. That's my take. I, I, I'm I, dropping the mic and I'm walking. You're absolutely right. That That's exactly right. And and kudos to Keanu for taking that and saying, you know what? I'm getting older here and I'd like to continue to be successful. How can I do that? And it's like somebody got to him and was like, here's what you do. Don't say too much. You're great in action films. Yeah. We're not going to take away your lines. But what we're going to do is surround you with... Nelson Cruz. <laughs> seriously. Tom, Tom Brady's wife. No, it, no, really. Exactly. But but his co-stars were great, right? They were so good, and Keanu played his role. You're you're exactly right. Is, what makes Seagal, what, what makes him hysterical is what used to sort of make Keanu funny, but this film doesn't have that, yeah. which is a good thing for him. All right, Dex, what was your favorite part about? Okay, I, obviously, outside of the mindless killing and great one-liners. This is a little off the cusp, but I thought it was so great, Keanu. His interactions with the dog in the first five, ten minutes. So I don't know if you notice this, but it's Dude. almost like Keanu Reeves has no idea how a dog works. <laughs> so You're so right. He gets the dog. You're so right. I'm gonna go I'm gonna break down the three prominent scenes with the dog. Okay. He, he gets right. the dog. He lays blankets down on the, on the floor of the bed. And he's like, This is your bed. And like 
places him down. Places him down. Is like, all right, that's the dog bed. Okay. (laughs) Next morning, they wake up. Dog wakes him up. Typical dog. Look in the face. I got to go. So they go outside. Keanu goes to grab the paper. The dog runs out and he goes, where are you going? (laughs) Oh, right. Because it's a dog and it has to go to the bathroom outside and he's so shocked that that has to happen. I actually wrote down the quote from that exact part. Yeah. It's, so the dog runs out and he's like, oh my God, the dog's getting away. And then he goes, hey. Oh, oh, right. Oh, right. Oh, right. (laughs) It's just perfect. So true. Then he doesn't have any food for it. So he pours it a bowl of raisin bran. Yes. And he tells it. I'll get you some kibble later. And it's just like perfect Keanu that he doesn't know how the dog works. Uh, it's hilarious. Oh, and it, it, uh, it that, and that's why it was so heart-wrenching when the dog dies. But it was just like, Keanu, do you, even though you're a mindless assassin, you found love, you're grieving your wife, but like, do you not know that dogs, one, have a dog bed, two, go outside to use the bathroom, and three, yes, you do have to feed it actual dog food. Did that part tug at your guys' heartstrings where so his wife dies and then she she somehow arranges for him to get this dog yeah, as like would, a companion? I'd like to know how that happened, but yeah, go and ahead. And they become friends, and like he wakes up in the morning and the dog is like jumping up on his back and stuff, right. and he's trying to cope with this death. Like that that tugged at me a little a bit. Little that's bit. that's more sentiment than any Steven Seagal movie has ever had. Right. Judd's like, nah. I it was, yeah, it was fine had, like, until they killed dogs. the damn dog. Yeah, I know. It was, I really didn't like that. I, I, I got it, it, but at first I didn't like it. I, I didn't just like didn't it. like the dog dying. I didn't think. Oh, if, really? I thought it was critical to setting. Well, it turned out to it turned yes, out it to be, but I was skeptical. At, at the moment the dog died, I'm like, are they really going to pay this off with what they need to? But they eventually did. But I'm just saying when the dog is killed at that point in the film, the, the first time that I watched this entire film going through, I didn't like it just because I'm like, I, I like people dying, but I don't like dogs dying. I mean, you could literally sum this movie up with this sentence. Man gets revenge on behalf of his dog. Yes. Yeah. Like, that is the movie. Right. That's, right. Yeah, yeah. So, no, it turned out to be important. It turned it, out to be critical. I in, get that. In fact, let's, let's because there was some debate here before we went live with this segment here off microphone about just the circumstances surrounding his wife's death. So... The first time I watched this movie, and I was on an airplane, and I wasn't paying full attention for like the first 10 or 15 minutes. And so for me, it was just like an hour and 20 minutes of Keanu Reeves getting revenge for like his dog and whatever. I, I was like, did they kill his wife? I can't. I, didn't. I think if you watch it a second and a third time, it becomes more apparent that she has she is sick with an illness of some kind. At first, I thought, "Oh, did they? Po- did the Russians like poison that, her?" Or that something? was my initial thought too. And were they were they after him? And I didn't realize until the second time watching this movie that his wife died of a terminal illness, and the Russians and they, like the, the Yosef, the kid Russian, uh, arrogant guy, that he wasn't specifically targeting John Wick. Well, he was just randomly. And I'd like, like to talk about this one. Okay, I'd like to talk about this one. Th- this is the one that bugged me. Of all the people. In the tri-state area, yes. Jersey, New yes. York, you, you know, of all the people, you're telling me that, that this Russian gang, and I don't think it was the mob per se in, in this case. Now, the old man ran a mob, but the, this Russian yeah. gang happened to be at a gas station in Jersey and accidentally targeted John Wick, who the dad knew well. The, the, who but, used to work for the dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but worked but, in the shadows. We could have got, in the shadows. But we, could have, but we could have gotten here through a little bit more of a storyline that made sense. Like, that was the one thing. Because I really actually thought, as far as these films go, that this film was good. Like, this film had a lot of good things. 
But really that the kid just so happened to take a 69 Mustang off John Bleeping Wick. And, and I get it led to a great line. But I would have preferred that we had a little bit more cohesiveness of to how the kid got in John Wick's crosshairs. See, I kind of like that it was random. I'm but tra- it's in New Jersey. No one's going to go to Jersey. It was unbelievable to me. Well, so you're saying if it was if it was in New York or something. Oh no, I'm just saying like let's have the kid be the, the kid was so stupid. Yeah, how right. would you how would you have rewritten the? Because you you've got to get to the point where John Wick is going. I would have had the kid. Tour. I I would have had the the old, old man who to your point employed Wick at one time. I would have had the kid who's an arrogant a hole to begin with, right? I would have had him try and do something to Wick because he take a he, shot at the he title? was beginning to to uh, take o- over the old man's title a little bit. That would have been my story because I just thought that this film was too good to have this sort of oh, and we accidentally robbed John Wick of all people of all yeah yeah. I, I didn't mind the randomness of it. I, I get that it's I get everything you're saying. I love the interaction when so he gets he puts the gas in the '69 Mustang and these guys and by the way these guys like calling them a gang. It's like they're just like they're just they're, they're just like privileged yeah uh, like yeah ru- the kids of a Russian mobster yeah. and his friends. But they're not like the mob themselves. But when you're the right. but when Yosef leans into the car. And he at first he says, "How much for the car?" And John Wick says, "Not for sale." And then Yosef reaches in to pet Daisy, and then in Russian he says, "Everything has a price, bitch." Not knowing that John Wick is a John Wick and B speaks Russian. Uh, he, and John he Wick is Russian. Res- and John Wick responds, "Not this bitch." Yeah, <laughs> in oh, Russian. Great. So great. That was great. So they so just to just to play out the rest of it. So the Russians show up to John Wick's house again. Have no idea who he is. They show up just to kick his ass for being smarmy at the gas station to break stuff in his house and to steal the 69 Ford Mustang. And in the process, they kill Daisy the dog. Um, and then that's how. Shut that how we get dog up. So I, wait, I wait, really like the killing of the dog I, to me made, like, made me furious on behalf of John well, Wick. And I would have attempted to do the same thing without the ninja skills, just for the record. Like that, that lit a great fire under the movie, the I, killing I, of the dog. I didn't like the dog dying at the time, but eventually completely got why they felt it was necessary for uh, the storyline. It had to happen. I yeah. got a question about about Wick, though. Is John's house just unlocked constantly? Like the bad guys who come in. I feel like those guys don't, it doesn't matter if it's locked Including the gang that he killed, the 12 guys. They just sort of like sauntered in doors, like sliding glass doors, unlocked. It's like, Johnny, I, I get you're an assassin. You're dangerous. But you might want to lock the house up and make them at least break the glass to come in. Did we see them slide doors open? Yes. Did we? Yes, okay. the 12 guys that c- come in basically just like are like, hey, Johnny, what's up? That's a good point. If you're John Doors Wick, open. If you've been an assassin for most of your adult life, you might want to have a better home security system. Yeah. Well, yeah, and there's a lot of a glass. They can break the glass, but I mean, they literally just slide the door open. Do you know how frequently I check my doors? I'm like <laughs> paranoid, and I'm not an assassin, and I got a little house. <laughs> Are you worried that Yosef's going to show up and. I don't trust my kill, fellow man. Kill, I'm going to be honest with Stella you. And, uh, yeah, exactly right. Steal all your beer. Exactly right. <laughs> anyway. So um, I, I, I just want to go back to this, though, because I think I, I want to probe more at you not liking the killing of the dog. Did you not like it as a storyline? Because I honestly feel like the movie falls flat, and the oh. movie doesn't have as much, yeah, go get him, John Wick, if uh, no, they don't right. kill the dog. Okay. Sitting here after watching the entire film, I completely get the importance of the dog dying, okay? So I'm not saying right now I'm protesting it. I'm just saying at the moment when I'm watching the film and they kill the dog, I don't like to see pets die, okay? Like, people dying yeah, doesn't course. bother me, doesn't bother me one bit. 
shoot them, and they did a great job. Um, pets and dogs dying bothers me. So at the moment I saw it, it rubbed me the wrong way. In retrospect, totally get it. Made perfect sense. Actually, probably pretty smart. So I'm not trying to say that it's a fault with the film. I'm just telling you flat out, I don't like to see pets die. Okay. Um, just to, to to put a bow on your point about they had like 12 or 15 henchmen come in and open the doors and like maybe lock your doors. But these guys get into his house and he just systematically makes quick work of them with a handgun and like a knife or something. He kills 12 people in the dark on his own. And then I think this might be my second favorite part of the movie <laughs> when he calls what's he called to was what was his code the his, cleanup crew he he said I'd like to make a dinner reservation right so this this van pulls up and it's like this miscellaneous I can't remember what the van said but it was like yeah. you know they're cleaners. cleaning crew they clean up death and their job is to come in and clean up messy death situations um, so that happens and then eventually. I think this might have been later in the movie. The police officer shows up to the door. Evening, John. Evening, Jimmy. Noise complaint. Noise complaint. You uh, working again? <laughs> no, just sorting some stuff out. Oh, well. I'll leave you be then. Good night, John. Good night, Jimmy. <laughs> okay. You working again? Working no. again? It's amazing. I would say that that is the best scene in the entire film. I love that scene. That's I thought that scene. scene was great. But the other thing is, play that back, and I'm serious here. Listen to the economy of words from the star. Like, and, and then, Phil, to your point, imagine Seagal being like, oh, yeah, my script, this is good. Play this back, and this is the genius of John Wick writing. Evening, John. Evening, Jimmy. Noise complaint. Noise complaint. You uh, working again? No, I'm just sorting some stuff out. Oh, well. I'll leave you be then. Good night, John. Good night, Jimmy. Perfect. Seagal would never give the cop that chance to be that good. No. Perfect, yeah. Not and he'd have to throw in another like campy line of some kind. It's just yes. great. So uh, what else stood out to you guys? What was your least favorite part? Let's go to that category. What was your least favorite part Declan, about John? Go ahead. What, what is up with, uh, especially John Wick 2, what is up with everyone wearing suits throughout the course of this movie? Like, is it just because they're like also trying to disguise themselves as as savvy people? Like, I don't understand the clothing on like the 99% of, of John Wick, on the henchmen. Like, it looks like everyone is set up as businessmen. Yeah, is it just I, a, a front to be like, well, I'm not really an assassin. I'm a swab. I think they're person. supposed to be high class killers. I yeah, really do. It's like it's like if James Bond were to instead instead of like yeah. fighting for you know the uh, like the the black ops wing of the okay. British government, if you were to go rogue. And you know, like I get it, it plays well for the movie, so I understand why. But like Yosef is just this little runt, like and and John goes into the pool and like kill and, and the club and kills everyone essentially, other than getting. Uh, th- suplexed over the over the railing, but I I didn't like Yosef, and he also his character. So the actor that plays him, he is a prominent character in the Game of Thrones series yes, on yeah. HBO. He plays Theon, and Theon has like a very crazy arc in the entire series. I won't go into that, but at his lowest point, he is like this little kind of greedy sob, and he, it's all it's almost the exact same character. Funny. So it, it was almost like he was, good at it. he was playing the same character as he was in Game of Thrones. But I, I had a little bit of an issue with him. So you wanted these guys in, in terms of like what they should be wearing. What, what would you have had John Wick wear instead of a suit? Uh, Plain black t-shirt? Turtlenecks too, right? Hawaiian yeah, shirts, turtlenecks, turtlenecks. Like Secret Service. I don't know. I, 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 I just wanted to see a little bit more. Not like Steven Seagal with like the, you know, the, the V-neck vest super and tight beret jeans. and super tight jeans. Uh, I just... I, 
I didn't. Everybody's in I didn't like the suit. I didn't like the suit. Flip you. Yeah, I think if Keanu had a Steven Seagal ponytail, yeah. it would have put this movie even more over the top for me. Can I give you um, the thing I didn't like, but juxtapose it with a thing that they did really well that most films like this don't do? So I'll start with the good part, all right? The good part was, unlike Seagal films or films where guys get in fights, and so like 10 guys attack a guy, and how often do we see them like fight the guy, flip the guy or something, or punch him? Mm-hmm. And the guy falls down like he's dead, and he never gets back up. And my thing is, he's not dead. He's tough enough. Like, he might be stunned. Uh, but that, but By the way, Bruce Willis should have learned that lesson when he hung that guy up. In exactly. The, in, in but, the like, that's Hard. the end of the fight. got to put a bullet in that guy. <laughs> well, John Wick does a great job. He does. I love the, um, the percentage of kills per shot in this film are fantastic. And I love the fact that he finishes, he beats people up. And then what does he do? He pulls out his gun, silencer on, bang, shoots him right in the head. Yep. Then they're really dead, okay? So to me, this is because how many films? Lethal Weapon, Seagal, Die Hard. How many films do we see a fight and then, oh, well, he just got flipped onto a table. He must be dead. I'm with you. John, so, John Wick has seen a lot of action movies in his life. Yeah. He knows what happens if you don't put that bullet But don't in that you love head. when he pulls the gun out and bang, and he pops guys in the head, too. He makes sure they're not going to get back up. Um, to juxtapose that, though, with the thing that this film did that every film does that drives me absolutely crazy mm-hmm. is if you're going to have the John Wick character get caught, you're not going to torture him. You're going to just kill him. That's true. So, like, again, That's he's true. tied. It, it's it's lethal weapon. It's the same scene. He's tied to a chair. Every Bond movie has this. You've too. got your yeah. chance to kill him. Like, like if you don't want to capture him, that's fine. But if you're going to write he gets captured, then he's going to die, okay? Yeah. So don't give me, like, everything else in how they killed folks was really well done. It's like, yes, you would do that, and you would shoot that guy, and you would shoot that guy. And then here's John Wick um, tied to a chair. And they, they don't kill him. And they leave without him dead. Uh, come on, yeah. please. I'm with you there. I think uh, I think we, I, I, especially Vigo already knew just how powerful right. John Wick is. Yes. And he knows that John Wick, there's two different scenes, one in particular, in which Vigo lays out just how ridiculous John Wick is as He's an the assassin. He said when John met his, his future wife, he asked to get out of the business. And so... Because Vigo didn't want him to get out of the business because he was so good, I gave him a near impossible task, <laughs> and he completed it. So, and we don't know exactly what that task was, and I think we might even find out in John Wick Two. There's a lot of these. I think the killing three guys with a pencil is in John Wick Two as oh, well, if I okay. remember right. We will do John Wick Two at some point on this podcast. Oh, yeah. uh, but he knows, he, like, he knows that he gave John Wick an impossible mission to kill, like. X amount of people in X short amount of time, and he completed it to get out of the Russian mafia. And yet he isn't the least bit concerned when he finally captures John Wick and there's only like three dudes to, you know. So I'm with you on that one. Right. Um, there was really nothing that stood out to where I said, oh, I can't. This, this drove me nuts. And so let me jump to this with you guys. The $2 million contract. Yes. And, and the openness of the contract so that if anyone who kills him gets the two million dollars and then by the way it it doubled to four million for anyone willing to break the rules of the continent doing business inside the continental the continental Hotel. is not a place you do business though it is not but because the prize was doubled to four million dollars what did you guys think about the whole two million and four million dollar 
bounty angle here to so to, and and the offering of the bounty initially to Marcus, who was John Wick's mentor, who then turns around and saves John Wick a couple of times with some sniper warning shots. That right. was a storyline too. So he took he took the option on the bounty of two mil. Marcus did, and he led the Russian mobster to believe that he might kill John Wick, but he was never going to. Correct. And so then he does kill the. The one of the two guys left as John Wick is tied to the chair. He shoots. Um, I thought it was fine. I didn't think it was great, but here's what made it great. And, and again, this is where the film was genius in having a supporting cast that was outstanding. William Defoe is creepy oh, beyond belief. He so is good. unbelievable. He yeah. might he might have been he might have been the best peer actor in that film. And so. Like the storyline itself, if you give that to nine out of ten actors, it's probably like, uh, okay, cool, that's fine. But Defoe's so good that, and he's so freaky, and he's so yes. just cryptic that that I actually thought it was great. Not because the writing for the character was great, but because Defoe was so good. Can I can I make a point off? Because uh, you're, what you're getting down the path of here is casting, and. Yeah, I'm going to compare a couple of these other action movies that we have, like Commando. Let's use Commando. That we, I think that was maybe before Declan jumped into action movie. We did, we did Commando. No, with, I was here for Commando. You were okay yep. with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Brilliant. And the villain in that movie was this schleppy guy named Bennett. Yes, with the weird mustache. And we've seen a few of these military ties. Fat guys rogue. that can't win fights. Imagine if you were to replace. Whoever the hell that guy was, and there's like two or three of these types of villains in these movies that we've done, mm-hmm. right? If you were to replace Bennett with the guy who played Vigo in this movie, so you're gonna be you're gonna be an elegant mob leading Russian guy who talks like this and who really speaking. It's not what you did, son, that angers me so. It's who you did it to. Who? The f- nobody. That. F- Nobody is John Wick. Like, like, like this guy was brilliant. Oh, yeah. Brilliant. And I, I think if you're just going to be like, oh, well, Arnold's the star, Cannon's the star, let's just get, like, literally anyone to play the villain. Uh-uh. Mm-mm. Your movie can't get to that well, level. And then they, they cast this film damn near perfectly. Now, now the only thing that, that I thought was a little bit um, weird about the end, not surprising again, but sort of weird, was, was the fact that I don't know that Russian mobster had to should have had to fight Wick. I, I think Wick Wick would have just killed him so simply. But his role, his character is fantastic. So I probably would have had him die in, in a fiery explosion um instead of him trying to fight Wick. There there seems to be this need at the end of films like this that the ultimate bad guy has to fight the good guy. Yeah. But the good guy is often, you know, and rightfully so, this chiseled specimen, right? Yeah. And the bad guy can be basically look like me. Like, I should die in a fiery crash. Well, but anyway, the character itself, I'm with you on. The character was great. Yeah, I thought the same thing. It was like, all right, so so Vigo has challenged has challenged John Wick to a fight here and to drop their gun. It's like, well, this is going to end in five seconds. Right. Um, I was I was a little bit perplexed by the killing of Yosef and just how sort of so the movie is all about. Getting revenge on Yosef for doing this terrible thing, killing this dog that meant so much to you, and you've been hunting him down through nightclubs and through the city, and you've you've literally had to kill like fifty people to get to Yosef mm-hmm. throughout the course of this movie. 
and you finally get to him and you just put a bullet in his head and walk away. I think my question is, would you guys, and this is, I can't believe I'm like putting myself in the shoes of a murderous assassin here. Would you guys have savored that moment a little bit more if you were John Wick? Would you have pimped the home run a little bit more than just like, I oh, put a bullet in his head and walk away? I personally would have preferred that Yosef um, got caught at like the top of, of a hotel or something and got thrown through a plate glass window and fell to his death. So, yes. Well, that is. Yes. I thought his. That is dark. Hey, look. I love it. Die Hard. Classic. The end is great. Why? They throw him out of a window. And then it's and you get to savor and him he goes, falling ah! in slow motion, right? Declan, would you have savored that a little bit more? Yeah, I would, because like I was saying before, where he goes into the club and just destroys everyone, but like he can't get Yosef with the six bullets when he's running away in a towel, by the way. Like his leg I've ran in a towel before. It's pretty difficult. Like you but can would only you run have so shot fast. him. Like like the shooting was the shooting didn't pay off the, the death that he so richly right. deserved, right? So, so like a long fall or yeah, something. So then that's that that's the Phil's point. That's why when he finally goes to the warehouse and he and he kills everyone, it was just like, okay, he gets his revenge on Yosef. But yeah, I wanted a more satisfying, torturous death. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. By the way, what situations in your life have you been in where you're running with a towel on? Uh, we can do uh, Declan, you know, spring break rewind at another time, but I don't know if that's a, that's a great idea. What, some boyfriends got back? Uh, it's a long story. Let's, uh, let's save it for another Friday. Didn't, it's a good Friday topic. Didn't think that yeah. you were going to get an yeah. answer to that question, yeah. did you, Phil? I, I, didn't. I didn't. But don't, don't you guys think... The shooting percentage in this film, I love the shooting quick shooting. The, his, his shooting percentage is great. It was I, sustainable. He is an NBA three-point right. artist. Like, his shooting was—and yeah. and, and plus, the, it's really is quick. The, is he the Steph Curry of good guys in action movies? He is He is literally a gunner. Yeah, he's he's what Damian Lillard has been in the bubble so yes, far this season. Yes, exactly. Like if 60 you, points on, like, 12 shots. Just like three, three, three. And he doesn't miss. Free right? throws, ninety percent free throw shooter. Aside from aside from he, he missed the kid a, a few times. He doesn't miss shots, and he does it up close. And I love the fact that yeah. he beats you up, and then he shoots you in the head. Also, in terms of just shooting efficiency, yeah. Did you notice the one thing he does? So he always has multiple guns on him. Yes. So instead of like when he has the semi-automatic, and I don't know what these guns are called. Like I've barely held a gun yeah. in my life. All right. So so he's got this semi-automatic thing, and he's just going to town at different points. And then when that thing runs out, and there's still like 10 enemy Russians bearing down on him, when that thing runs out, instead of like hiding behind a car and trying to reload the gun like you see in every other movie, he just moves to the next gun. Yes. So he empties the clips on the automatic. And he's got clips. Boom. Moves to the handgun. Bang, bang, bang. Boom. Moves to the next handgun. Bang, bang, bang. It's just, it's, he is the Golden State Warriors. Yes. 2015 through 2018. Yes. Of of good guys in action <laughs> movies. 100%. Um, the other thing, too, I will tip my cap to uh, John Wick inspired me to drink bourbon again last night. Good he was you. drinking bourbon throughout the entire movie. Just everywhere you look, he's just... And then the one scene where he's getting, like, stitched up or something. He also stapled himself at the yeah. end of the movie. Yeah, yeah, but he does He does. He, he didn't need get the, the doctor at the, the hotel. Bourbon. Yeah. Do you need the doctor? I need a doctor. Good evening, Mr. Wick. How may I be of service? He's a doctor, Yes, sir. 24-7. Send him up, please. Yes, sir. How good's your laundry? I'm sorry to say that no one's that good. No. I thought not. May I suggest a drink, sir? Bourbon, perhaps. 
That sounds perfect. <laughs> <laughs> the Continental was great, by the way. Yeah. I love that. That was a great premise. If you guys, all right, if you guys knew that there were assassins inside the Continental, would you still go there for a cocktail? I would. St- I would try and stay there if the rate was reasonable. Yes, especially in Manhattan. Yes, I'm going to guess the rate probably isn't reasonable at that place. Probably is not reasonable. Um, but Maybe I, a Tuesday deal. Didn't you? Well, love- actually, hotels tonight sometimes offers the day of deals. Right. <laughs> didn't you love the rules though? And they killed. They killed the assassin at the end because she violated said rules. Yeah. And then the cleanup crew comes. Um, did, did you guys catch the one thing? So this film's really, really, I think, well done. Did you guys catch the one nod to when John Wick's Mustang gets stolen and he does not have a car? He gets on the bus. And he has to take a bus. Oh, yes. So and he gets off the bus. Yes. Yeah. There's okay. no question that they're like, what the hell? That was great. Because, like, why would great. John Wick take a bus, right? right. Well, Except for in that one scene and he, is, <laughs> he gets off the bus. It's just, a, I just thought it was so funny. Did you guys have a favorite kill in this movie? Mm. It wasn't one of the real bad guys, that's for sure. I'll give you mine. Okay. My favorite kill, actually, it's kind of a tie, because he had one where he, he like, where he killed Mayhem guy from the insurance commercials. He was driving right at him like he was going to hit him, and instead he spins the car, you know, 90 degrees sideways perfectly so that the passenger window bashes the guy in the head, and yep. then I think he shoots him or something. But but toward the end, he... Uh, he runs into a group of Russian mobsters with his SUV or whatever he was driving that had a sunroof. And I think this is the second time we've seen a similar kill like this in one of our action movies where the Russian guy is tumbling over the top of the car. Declan's and John before. Wick goes up through the sunroof and shoots him. Yeah, that's pretty great. Pretty what, what other movie did that we see that was Dex's film. Oh, before. Wanted. Oh, Wanted. Yeah. Yes. So that was, they that shoot was great. People. My, my favorite series of kills was when they established how he killed people when the 12 guys broke in because that was the first right. scene in which he started in which he, in which he beat them up and then and then shot them yeah and I can't tell you how pleased I, I was to finally see a film where they polished off the bad guys um that series of kills to me set a very important tone for the kills and and here's the one thing too that makes this film sort of special in some ways. They made you wait a, quite a while for payoff, and ordinarily that ticks me off to no end, and I get right. bored. I'm like, come on, just get into it. Like nine out, out of ten films that we've gone through, if you don't get to a kill quickly, I'm PO'd. This one, I actually wasn't. Yeah, This one, but but when he kills those 12 guys, it sets just a marvelous tone of... Oh, no, he shoots them, too. So ScreenRant.com ranks the top 10 John Wick kills throughout the entire franchise. And there's there's only one from the first John Wick that makes the list, and it is number one, and it's the club scene. Which one in the club? Just all of the club scene? I think the whole club scene from start to finish. Because he kills like 40 guys in the club. Yeah, yeah. There's one scene where he's like in the lobby of the club, and he literally just kills everyone in a red jacket that walks up close to him. There might have just been random guys going in to get their ints on, and he just kills them. That's okay, though. Um your, well, I have one more question before we get to a couple of the final categories here. Judd, how would you rate, how would you rank Keanu's performances in Point Break, Speed, and John Wick 1? It's almost like a different actor in some ways. So it's very, it's very difficult because I feel like by the Wick franchise that Keanu as an actor had actually grown to know what he did well and what he didn't do well. 
Um, speed, he's got speed. I love, but the dialogue is heavy, and he and he recites it in as Keanu can. Um, this is what my cue card says: um, Keep the bus going, fifty-five, or we will all die. Did I say that? Um, do you want me to rate them in seriousness? Like, like what's the best? I would say your your favorites. Because your I, favorite Keanu. I love Campy, so I, I so Point Break is my favorite, but it's because it's Campy too. Like as far as professional films go, John Wick yeah. wins easily. But if I was just going to if I was going to sit down and watch uh, three Keanu films today, and I didn't care about why, I would watch Point Break first. I just love Point Break. Um, I would probably watch Speed second and John Wick third. Okay. But I think John Wick is the most professional for him easily of those three films, Declan. I haven't, oh, yeah, I haven't seen Point Break because that's an assignment I still have to do. Yeah, so you you see Point Break and then you can report yes, back on this. That's correct. Your uh, favorite character from this movie, real quick, Declan. Oh, I I I kind of liked uh, the the female assassin. I'm breaking on the name right now, off the top of my head. But I I kind of liked you, her. You kind of let her you let her do that stuff to you. You know, uh, try to kill you and chase you around the city. Wouldn't be the worst thing I let a woman do to me. So I I wouldn't I wouldn't really mind it at all. Miss <laughs> Perkins, Miss Perkins is her name. Yeah, I kind of liked her. Who was that though? Who the actress? Yeah, in real um, life, an Adrian Palaki. Oh, okay, I'm not familiar. Apparently, with her work. um, I I like that they had like that. When they meet at the Continental, you kind of like, oh, is there a past here? Like, is it is it a yep. love? Is there a love triangle? Is there right. is there a possible feud? Like, you don't you, leaves very open ended. She's mm-hmm. like, he's like Perkins and John, and then they I think they see each other too at the bar downstairs, and then you realize, oh, she's just a typical bounty hunter looking to collect the the contract that was put out on him, and then she slips out of the handcuffs from from the hotel guy. He, she kills him. And yeah, and he, and she just gets like murdered pretty easily. I was like, oh, that's kind of a lame way that she gets whacked at the end of the movie. But I liked her. Yeah. I thought she was great. She broke the rules of the Continental, dude. I get it. Um, so Defoe is my favorite character as far as people go, but my favorite character in the film was the dog. The dog, because the dog dying ultimately was important. The dog was pretty damn good. Yeah. Like the dog was believable. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna go off the charts here and say my favorite character because they so in a film films plural they so rarely kill like a pet or a dog or something. It's I don't think it, it's an ordinary thing. Right. I'm gonna go with my favorite, the linchpin character. Because Phil, one. Phil, you're right. If they steal his Mustang and beat him up, he's gonna be pissed off. But it, you're going to be like, he's really going to kill this yeah, just many car. people. Yeah. But when the Russian kid kept saying, it's only a GD dog, and he's like, it was more than that. Um, <laughs> I'm going with the dog. So uh, I'm going with Vigo, the lead of the Russian crime syndicate. I just thought he was a brilliant, villainous character. But my runner-up is probably the character that Ian McShane played. Just because I, I literally thought for the first, like, and I do this with multiple Ian McShane movies. I think it's Al Pacino for the first 10 minutes. Right. Because they look exactly alike, they talk exactly alike, and I'm pretty sure that producers, whenever they're casting for a movie, they probably go to Al Pacino first, and then Al Pacino says that'll be $15 million, and then they're like, ah, I don't know if we have the budget for that, and so then they go to Ian McShane. So um, I always get confused <laughs> with that. The definitive bad guy rankings. So far, this is our 20th action movie rewind, by the way, so congrats to Are all you of serious? us for hitting this milestone. All right. Where, where's the cake? We'll get it for the 30th one. Yeah. Yep, uh, budget. So Hans Gruber is uh, number one on our list from Die Hard. Cyrus the Virus from Con Air. Brad Wesley from Roadhouse. Mr. Joshua from Lethal Weapon. 
Ivan uh, Drago from Rocky Four, and then Dennis Hopper from Speed, Bodie from Point Break, Dom from Fast and the Furious, the rogue CIA agent from The Expendables, and angry terrorist Ivan from Air Force One. At the bottom of this list is the incompetent Russian military from Rambo 3, Sloan from Wanted, and General Hummel from The Rock. Uh-huh. Is the bad guy the Russian mobsters combined? Is it Vigo? Is it Yosef? How would we characterize I'd say this? it's Vigo and Yosef. Yeah. Okay. Father and son. Yeah. I Man, they're they're really good. Here's I'll throw this out and you guys can tell okay. me, okay? They're not Hans Gruber. They're no. not Cyrus the Virus. But I think they're above some of these other, like, I think they're above Mr. Joshua and Lethal Weapon. They're evil and they're conniving, but they're also smart. I'm going to put them... Third behind Hans Gruber and Cyrus the Virus ahead of Brad mm. Wesley and Roadhouse. That's where I am. So the only thing I don't like is like he basically just like sacrifices his son. He's like right, yeah. but that adds to the villainous character, and that adds a layer. I just he felt... gave his son's location away so he could save his own life. Yeah, it's amazing. I, I, I guess to. it's a good point, but also he's like he's an older dude. and He gives John Wick a good run for his money in the final fight scene, and I didn't like feel like that should have been as close as it was. Like he's definitely diabolical, but. I, I don't know if I can put him in the top five. I don't know if I can. Who's top five again? Hans Gruber, yeah. Cyrus the Virus, yep. Brad Wesley from Roadhouse, yep. Mr. Joshua from Lethal Weapon, yep. Yvonne Drago from Rocky Four. Okay, I'm putting him behind Drago for sure, and here's why. Um, the son... R- Russian on Russian here. The son, the son, to me, was the real bad guy, and he gets killed so simply, and mm-hmm. he's just sort of a punk. Okay. And the dad... The dad... <laughs> The weird thing about this is the dad had an affinity for Wick himself. Like, he liked him, and and he knew that yeah. he had to try to kill him. But I was torn on the on the Russian mobster because of his feelings for John Wick. So I'm going to put him behind Drago. I'm okay with that because I love Ivan Drago. He's my favorite. I mean, Drago's a great. That's a great character. That's fantastic. So if we were to, if we were to put him in, it's a little bit tougher for Declan because he hasn't seen all of these movies. But if we were to put him... Just behind Ivan Drago and ahead of Dennis Hopper from Speed. I'd be fine with that. Okay. I can settle with that. I love Dennis Hopper and Speed, but I, I will concede. Okay. That that's fine. So uh, now we get to... That seems like a fair place for him. Mm-hmm. One through ten Seagull ranking system here. Judd Zilgad. Okay, I'm going to give this again because in my mind, the ranking system is a little bit complex and complicated. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give this an eight. Really good. Not over the top. Um, Keanu actually accepting and finding a role in which I think he thrives probably. So if I put all of the ingredients of how I think about our ranking system together, I give this an eight, which is ultimately high praise for a film like this. Okay. Dex? This is a 10. I give this a 10 out of 10. It has blood. (laughs) It has cheesy one-liners. It has a solid villain. I, I think it fits all the – it's under the 90-minute threshold. I think it hits all the normal check marks in our very complicated ranking system, and it was perfect. I, I, this is a 10 out of 10 for me. I agree oh. with Declan. Yes, yes. It's a that's 10. Fair, that's fair. It is a freaking 10. This movie is incredible. This is Keanu Reeves' best work. It gets to the point. There's no wasted time. It has a plot that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It has great villains. It has great action. 
So with with two tens and an eight, that gives it a composite score of nine point three, which makes it our second best action movie that we have reviewed so far. All right, Die Hard at a ten, John Wick at a nine point three. Oh wait a second, what's my math there? Commando's a nine point two. I don't know how that math works, but uh, Fast and the Furious eight point eight, Expendables, Roadhouse, Hard to Kill, Rocky Four, Independence Day, and Point Break all above an eight. The bottom of this list is Bloodsport, Wanted, and Rambo Three. By the way. So yeah, that's fair. There it is. That's very fair. There it is. Action movie rewind. Uh, very John Wick. Judd Zolgat's turn to pick for next week. All right, I've got about six cho- choices here that I've been going through this week, and I boiled it down to one film for next week. We're going back again to the eighties, and this is a classic. I want to hear no protests about this. Nineteen eighty-two. Eddie Murphy and Nick Nolte. Oh. 48, 48 hours. hours. Boom. 136 running time, according to what I looked up. An hour and 36 minutes. Very, very short. Absolutely glorious. And yes, we get to the kills basically right after the credits. I am here. And a great for bad guy. We've got a bad guy. I don't, he's not going to challenge for number one, I don't think. But the bad guy who gets killed at the end uh, is going to challenge for the top five. Love it. All right, that's Action Movie Rewind, and we, we love that all of you listeners have made this, and viewers on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash You've made this, this and Write That Down are the two most downloaded segments uh, and episodes we have every single week, so thanks for hanging out with us here. Uh, are we still rapping with Roycey on this yes, episode? we are. We've made him wait for a long time. Anybody yep. seen right. Roycey? <laughs> what happened, John? We were professionals. Civilized. Do I look civilized to you? He's seeing you, Don. Yeah. He's seeing you. All right, we wrap with Roycey every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday on the show. Patrick, what's happening with you this weekend? Uh, this weekend, I think I might go to the Twins game tomorrow night. Yeah, and then I don't think I'm going to do a lot. And uh, that's, uh, that took a lot out of me. Driving between those semis always makes me nervous. It takes me about two days to settle down after that. That is a that is a pain in the ass drive. I love I love, personally love the billboards on the drive. Just oh, yeah. reminding me how terrible of a human I am every mile and a half. You've done a lot of bad things, Phil. A lot of bad things. And uh, the other uh, part, of course, is uh, now that uh, you know you're you're really uh, got to uh, watch yourself because uh, you, you, every time you get out and go to the Get get two thirds of the way to the convenience store. You remember you got to go back and get your mask. That's the other problem. So I'm putting I putting in a lot of extra footwork. I'm not forgetting my mask back in the car. Wisconsin. I thought they were a little more relaxed on that, but they're a hardcore too now on the mask. And I think there's more restaurants closed in Milwaukee. There aren't many angels. It's amazing. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's. Uh, I mean, a lot of uh, a lot of the. You know, the major restaurants aren't open over there. So it was uh, kind of surprised me. But the, uh, you know what? Miller Park isn't bad when the roof's open. But they don't, it seemed like they hardly ever had it over there when I was in the past. But, you know, you play there on a nice night and they keep the roof open, as they should. Uh, it's, it's not bad. It's better than I thought it was. Did you guys see the Seahawks story? That Tom Pelissero, our friend, yes. tweeted out yesterday. Yes, it's great. What's that now? It's great. I got to find this tweet here. I want to read this verbatim. 
Also, I love that Tom Pelissero has. Let's just say it starts with level. undefeated, Pat. Let's just say it starts with that. Football, okay. Football's got nothing on this. Uh, is it Mrs. Russell, perchance? No, no, it's not even close to Mrs. Russell. So the oh. Seahawks cut rookie cornerback uh, Kemma Silver uh, Silverand this week after he was caught on video trying to sneak a female visitor into the team hotel, per sources. Clear message on the responsibility of everyone uh, has the NFL's COVID uh, put the team at risk and suffer the consequences. But here's the catch. The woman was wearing Seahawks gear in an attempt to disguise her as a player. <laughs> yeah. It did not work. Yes, well, determination. And I I would uh, give the guy another chance because he's obviously determined and creative, even if he did get caught, right? You know? I agree. I agree. I think yeah, cutting yeah. him is too much punishment. So, I want clever, creative players like that on my yeah. roster. Problem yeah. solved. So he got her the gear clearly and said, try this. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, he probably had heard tales of other people being successful in this area, too. I mean, it's possible, too, that it's it's kind of a fetish for him, too. Why don't you leave those shoulder pads on uh, throughout the night, honey? <laughs> Honey, hip, I really like the hip pads. <laughs> that's, 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 wow, that's fantastic. I love I love athletes, man, because really, you know, I've, I've always said uh, in, in certain cases there are guys that uh, you could say, okay, you can get lucky tonight or win the World Series. It's, it's a June night in Milwaukee. You can either get lucky tonight or you can win the World Series. They'd say, ah, I think I'll go with the I think I'll get lucky tonight. Thank you. You know, the World Series would be fun, but what the hell? This is a this is a sure thing. They're, they're unbelievable. I think you're right. I think you're exactly mm-hmm. right. Um, That's what I said about the be- the beaches in Fort Lauderdale. Yep. They, at least they were social distancing. We knew that, right? <laughs> Unreal. So. So our Twinks, uh, after we've, uh, last time we talked, we've had to uh, worry uh, greatly about the the hitting, and then they went out and actually added on runs, and Garber, leadoff Garber, three singles, just exactly what you expect. And uh, that Balsano hit, woo, 442 at eight. That had to be 480. Where did it land? You couldn't tell on TV. Up, it was up there in the, near the third. Deck back and banging around, it was uh, monstrous. Oh. It was a monstrous shot, which means if you throw him the right cookie, he can hit it. When when's your best guess, Patrick? About when we see Donaldson again? Because I'm now thinking it's going to be at least a month. Oh, I would guess. Uh, when is it? When's the 2021 season? <laughs> you think so? Let's say March 31st. If we're lucky, I don't know. Chronic injuries, chronic injuries, uh, you know, don't, I, 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 you might get them back for two, three days, but what are the odds of them not doing, running down there? And as they, as they point out, you know, the calf uh, at third base, it's kind of important. Yep. Easy, you know, you got to get that quick start and stuff. I don't know, but uh, uh, our guy, uh, Rocco, promises that they didn't get Gar Vargas because of that situation. Sure they didn't. I believe no. him completely. Rocco always well, tells the truth on injuries. 
Yes, he does. Another uh, another slappy. That's just what we need. That's for sure. Uh, it is good to see Byron Buxton shaking off the first four or five games of Russ. And I, I was telling Judd, who went on a legendary panicked rant about Buxton about a week ago, he hasn't faced Major League pitching in basically a calendar year, and so he's probably going to need a few minutes to figure it out, and he has. So You know how much better of a team they are when he's playing yeah. and healthy? 20%. Yeah. Yep. They're 20% better because they can feel mm-hmm. and they can, they can do things when he gets on base, and if you throw him a bad pitch, he can hit it a long way. They are – this guy is – phenomenally important to them. Even though they've played so many games, they won a lot of games without him. Uh, last year, certainly, they won 101 games. But when they had him last year, they were way better than they were when they didn't have him. And we all saw that, especially in the field. But he's more than just a in-the-field guy. If he can tap, he's the one guy they got that if he can tap a ball 50 feet, he's on first base, right? Yes. And it's, it's, I mean, they are just way better team when he's playing. And I, I think it, it would be hard to say he's maybe as their position player, not because of what he's done. You know, and Cruz is probably more important to him, but he's probably the most important player that to make them a, uh, let's use it, let's throw the word out there. To make them an elite team, they need this guy to be a uh, Wow. Well, let's uh, wow. let's make sure we wow. save yeah. that. Whoa. Wow. Let's <laughs> say <laughs> let's say Patrick saying elite, okay? Going with the yeah. word elite. Do you Do you realize Patrick how much better to the culture in the clubhouse is when Buxton's there? The culture becomes so much better. He's not the kind of guy that would, uh, you know, he's he's a team guy. He wouldn't he wouldn't have a gal dress up like a Here's my batting you know, gloves. Wear these in. Yeah. What this guy's this guy's my new hero. What's his name? What's uh, his name? I, I don't remember. And I closed out the window. <laughs> Silveron, yeah. something like that. Yeah, Which, and this is basically from the least disciplined team in the NFL. Pete lets them get away with anything. Yes, I mean <laughs> Pete doesn't care as long as they can, uh, uh, as long as they can play. What's the name of Russell's religious girlfriend? Gorgeous Sierra. Religious Sierra. Girlfriend. Yeah, well, yeah, that's right. She, she's a big friend of uh, the, the man above, right? Is she? Well, didn't they announce that they weren't going to have premarital relations? That that was discussed uh, in the early parts of their dating, yes. Yeah. I don't know how, if they held themselves to that. Well, no, I hope you don't. (laughs) (laughs) If you know that, then then we have problems. That's the second time Marshawn Lynch was like, well, then just give me the damn ball. Yeah. Is he's not there? Is he? Is he? Is he did he come back? I don't even know. I don't. I don't know if he's. Part if he of did, he ain't season. there right now. Yeah, he'll he, be coming back for the season. He'll show up in hey, week fifteen or something. Hey, what are the what are Vikings up to now? Is today? Yes. Training camp, but we can't hit for two weeks. Then no, they're they're in pad. Well, they're in pads on Monday. They're okay. they're conducting their first full on the field workout uh, practice today on Friday. 
Okay, but when can I start running into the other guys? Next week? Monday? I would guess if you're going full pads, you can at least have contact, right? Mm-hmm. That would make the most sense. Uh, I mean, it's going to yeah. be goofy, so. Yeah, nobody's going to know what the hell's going on anyway, right? Can you watch practice? Or not? Media can watch Yes, at least the, the afternoon segment, practice. I don't know if they're doing the morning stuff. Practice is all okay. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a very confusing time in which we're living. So we'll, we'll see you out there on Monday? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think the Ziggy uh, issued me a special invitation, so I might come out. Good. Well, I'm sure. He, I'm sure he did. I'm sure he's very pleased to have you sit out there. The, I, had, the I, had long, I had a quick talk with Ryan Saunders this morning until about thirty-five, forty minutes. To, what are you up to here, being with the like the Pelotons uh, in this town? You know the uh, the poor, uh, you know the poor team that nobody remembers existed, and uh, he was, uh, you know, he's. Watching a lot of bubble games, and they're they're working guys out every day, but they can only work them out individually. And, and then they, you know, they two two coaches. You know how many coaches? Have you looked at their roster of coaches? How many? They got seven assistants, and then they got the video guys, and then they got like three more of those. Hmm. Man, alive! No wonder Glenn Taylor wants to sell the team. He can't afford the apartment. It's like they're the. Falby and the boys are trying to break poor Jim Polad, and now uh, these guys are trying to. Gerson is trying to break uh, Glenn Taylor. For By the way, I think you know this this pipe dream of the Timberwolves potentially uh, swinging a trade for the third amigo in Devin Booker. Yeah. I think that ship probably sailed during the eight game bubble, which the Suns went eight and zero, and Booker was eight, the no. best player in the bubble. Uh, one thing uh, Ryan did tell me, I said, "What you what have you learned from the bubble?" He said. The West is really good. <laughs> that I learned because Phoenix went eight though. Memphis was good. San Antonio played great and they didn't make the playoffs. Phoenix went eight and oh and still yeah. missed the playing game, yeah. the eight nine playing game. Yes. And uh who who uh in Memphis played uh who who'd Memphis play Portland? Uh Memphis and Portland I believe are playing in the play in game Correct. tomorrow on Saturday. So, we're not even sure that uh, Portland's going to make it with a guy who goes and gets 65 or something. That's correct. Yeah, he had a down game last night. He only scored 43 points on 20 shots or <laughs> what something. What a bust. And, he, and he made a three-pointer from the logo. Yeah. From the yeah, edge I saw of the that. logo. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Well, yeah, it, it's, uh, we're going to have to uh, tighten things up a little on the defensive end. Yeah. Well, Pat, we got to run, and we will talk to you after uh, this weekend, or uh, or we'll see you out there for special teams practice at the Twin Cities Orthopedic <laughs> yeah. Performance. Center. I'll see you at the ballpark. All right, is Morris Boringer coming back this year? He landed somewhere, we think, but we're not not quite sure where. It just sure as hell isn't here. I miss him. All right, see you. All right, Bye-bye. see you, Pat. Yeah. That is rapping with Patrick Royce questionable phone habits. People have asked, like, why does his phone sound weird sometimes? It's because he, I think he just holds it in his neck. Ah, yeah. And it so sort of just goes back and forth. I don't know, but it's still, we still love having yeah, him co- Yeah, we're coaching well, phone it, skills. He's the only guy in this industry that can, for six months after Ryan Saunders gets that job, on every platform that he's on, newspaper, radio, Rip et cetera, him. say that this is a terrible hire. He's the most underqualified coach in the NBA. And then, like... <laughs> Give him a call on a Friday morning and talk for forty minutes. He, he said at one point, at, at one point when Ryan got the job, I think he said that he should be coaching like a junior college. 
Yes. And then he's then he calls hey, Brian. Ryan, what's how you up? Doing? How are you doing? <laughs> hey, topic topic for next week though. The bubbles are better than I ever thought. They're incredible. And yep. and the hockey yep. bubble and this thing of playing games all day. Yes. I'm going to tell you right now. It's great. The pandemic sucks. I'm in love with this thing though. I it's think good. we should keep the bubbles going forward. Well, here's my just keep, here's the next just, thing. Just keep it going. Baseball for the playoffs needs to get into a bubble. I think they will. And then just play all day. I think they will. Tell TV your prime fun. time. We'll put games in prime time. Yeah. But this whole thing of starting games at like one uh, central or three central, I am absolutely infatuated with. Uh, I am too. And I, I said this on Twitter last night. And of course, I got a couple of people like, what about the ratings? So <laughs> the NBA has done the bubble. Is that how they talk? Perfectly. Like the NBA's bubble. And hockey has too. Yeah. Everything about it. And any sort of chirping about like the TV ratings, which by the way are fine. And you got to remember whenever there are comparisons to like, local or or national TV news. Like, we're in the middle of the biggest news cycle in the history of at least my life anyways. Mm -hmm. And so there's going to be more people watching the news channels than oftentimes, like, the Blazers versus the Nets on TNT. Right. So, but, But my question would be, is there anything the NBA could have done and the NHL too to have done this better. No. And I don't think they've... No. I think they've just knocked it out of the park so far. Production-wise, this is off the charts. The no po- positive tests it. are gone. Yeah. No, I mean, the whole thing. They, they basically have taken the NCAA basketball tournament, kicked fans out, and it's been perfect. Yep. And Love I don't it. miss fans, too. I'll tell you that right now. In watching these games on TV, I have never once thought, you know what, I really would like some screaming fan. Uh, I I disagree. I think yeah. I'm okay with I'm okay with this bubble thing happening. But when it's like game six of a series, like I want Some fans. that atmosphere yeah. for sure. Yeah, screw the fans. <laughs> Classic. Thanks for hanging out with us. I'm Mackie and Judd, and thanks for supporting the show. We'll see you guys next week. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.